Put them over your heart and say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Our worship leader during practice up here, many of you weren't even in the room, about fell out. Band members rushed over to him thinking he was having a heart attack or something, and he was in tears. I recognized it because <laughs> uh, I've, I've seen him bent over before in the realm of the spirit and uh, or in the in the spirit, heavy in the spirit. And so I just I looked into his eyes. They were full of tears. And I just said, is this spirit or is this or, or is this health? He said, it's spirit. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not surprised at all because that's been on me since yesterday. So uh, there's just something very supernatural going on. title of my message this morning is Grace, Looking into the Eyes of God. Join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. John, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Say it, my life is in His hands. Every concern of mine is in His hands. Nothing in my life that I've submitted to Him goes without his watchful care. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Say it, I am born born of God. And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received. That's important. From His fullness... How many of you know God does not lack anything? He's not troubled. He's not believing to get his bills paid. He has no problem with transportation. All of his relationships are strong, really good. Now, out of that fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came 
through Jesus Christ. I have one more verse to read, but I, I'm sorry. I just, I've got to stop when these things come and say, you need to quit living in the law. Now, I thank God for Bible reading plans. I thank God for daily reading plans. It helps us get in a discipline. But you need to be careful. Because what that unwittingly has done has caused us to think that all Scripture has equivalency in terms of the new covenant believer. And so you read things out of the old covenant and you try to apply them to new covenant faith and grace and it doesn't work. Paul was very clear that everything that was written beforehand was written for our example, that we can learn by it. But you cannot equate old with New Testaments. We live by grace. We don't live under law. Notice the contrast that he himself draws. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why draw that, extinct, uh, that um, distinction unless he's wanting us to transfer, unless he's wanting something in terms of some sort of movement out of us from where we've been to where we ought to be in God. I submit to you, God wants to move us this morning from where we have been to a new place in Him. And it's not going to th be through our struggle. It's not going to be through acts of obedience and trying to be like God. And it's going to be, very simply, through His grace and our willingness to receive it. Amen. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 from the Amplified Translation. Listen. And the word that is Christ became flesh, human. And he tabernacled. He fixed his tent to flesh. He lived a while among us. And we actually saw his glory. Such glory as only begot, the only begotten son receives from his father. Full of grace. Full of favor. Full of loving kindness and truth. John testified him and cried out. This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me has priority over me. For he was before me. He takes rank above me. For he existed before I did. Verse 16. For out of his, out of his, everybody say it, out of his, whose? Jesus. Jesus's. Out of his fullness, we have all received. We've all shared and we've all been supplied with. Stop that talk right now. Stop it. Stop that talk about not having enough. Stop that talk about how bad it is. Stop that talk about how you're going to be next. Hundreds of others have been laid off. You're next. The only reason you're going to be laid off, if you're laid off, is so that you might go to the next job that's even better and pays you more money. 
Not a step backwards. You need to be declaring that. I do not take step ba- steps backwards. I am moving forward in God's grace. One grace after another. Look at this. Out of his fullness we have all received. We've all been supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and favor upon favor and gift upon gift. (coughs) Verse 18. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom, in the intimate presence of the Father. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and he has made him known. Grace, looking into the eyes of God. How many of you have ever heard the term, I'm grateful for somebody's help? Do you realize how much grace pervades even our culture? How many of us say grace before our meals? How many of you have ever been gratified at hearing good news? See, that's a, that's a manifestation of grace. How many of you have ever been congratulated? We had a couple of mothers bring forth their children this week. Two different moms in our congregation had babies this week. Isn't that wonderful? Congratulations. You know what you're saying? Grace and more grace. We even give gratuities. Right? When the service is good, we're out at meal, we give a gratuity. You know what that is? That's a blessing of grace. Favor upon favor. You say, well, bless God, I'm not giving them anything. That service was crazy. <laughs> that, that, that food was bad. Well, first of all, she doesn't control the food. And you don't know if the reason the service was substandard was because they're really going through it. And as a minister of God, what you might be able to do by showing favor, gratuity, is through that favor and blessing, bring them out of that bad day to begin to enjoy a new one. You are always ministering. We should never be thinking of ourselves, but always in a place of how can I bless? How can I show favor? How can I give away something spiritual? The root word for this word grace or charis in the Greek, the root for charis means I rejoice, I am glad. But what's the first image that people have when they think about today's modern church? Do they think about rejoicing and gladness? Or do they think rather about the holier than thou? I I think that usually they think about a, a church where you have to 
get cleaned up first before you can attend. You have to clean up your act. It's a place of morality, not a place of grace. It's not a place of fun and joy. It's a place where I have to change everything that I'm doing before they'll accept me. Something's wrong with that image. We're, we're defining grace right now, and I want you to think through this with me. The gospel of God's grace would seem to be the message that we hear the least about in so many churches today. Philip Yancey, very famous scholar, somewhat of a theologian, prolific author, said this, He attended Bible college for years and yet, quote, later realized that in four years of college, Bible college, I learned almost nothing about grace. Continuing, he said, and I quote, We seem so anxious about avoiding hell that we forget to celebrate our journey towards heaven. When we all woke up this morning... Do you realize that the Bible says his mercies are new every morning? Even if you're mindful of something that's been hanging on in the flesh, you know, some sort of addiction or... You ought to shout the glory every morning. Lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for the mercy that's flowing, the grace, the gift upon gift to overcome today even this addiction. Life is a journey. It's not a snapshot, dear one. You are in his pleasure. You are in his favor. Did you come expecting this morning? I did. Stan, I just came expecting. And I've already been rewarded. I don't know when I've cried so much before a sermon. It's been a long time. And it just feels good. We could have gone home after that worship service, Pastor Don, and said we've been in the presence of God. Dear Lord, what, what, I think it was the third song where you began a cappella. You weren't playing your instrument. I turned around to Kimberly and said, Dear Lord, did you hear that? I mean, just the anointing that can come, the grace upon grace, favor upon favor, gift upon gift that comes out of his fullness that he wants to bless us with, every one of us. Tina, thank you. Where have you been? Thank you, Jesus. What's our mission, dear ones? Look at the church. Although we are, and to quote Brother Yancey again, although we are rightly concerned about issues in a modern quote, cultural war, end quote, we neglect the church's mission as a haven of grace in a world of ungrace, end quote. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, from the Amplified says this, but none of these things move me, neither do I esteem my life dear to myself, if only I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have obtained from which was entrusted to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully to attest to the good news, the gospel of God's grace, his unmerited favor, spiritual blessing and mercy. What is the gospel? It's 
good news. What is the mission of the church? It isn't to hold up a standard by which we judge the rest of those who are outside of our belief system and then tell them, you don't measure up. You're in sin. You need to change. That is not the mission of the church, to be the standard bearer by which we are judging the rest of the world. The mission of the church is to take the gospel of grace to the world. Most sinners already know they're sinners, except the ones sitting in church. Somehow we excuse our sin. Our sins aren't as bad as their sins. Looking into the eyes of God. Did you see that? Verse 14, Amplified Translation. Looking into the eyes of God. And we actually saw his glory. Now, this is John. This is one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. And he says here, we actually saw his glory. Now, if I read the Old Covenant properly, if I remember any of my Bible history, it seems to me that if anybody ever was to see God, they'd be struck dead. They, they, you know, you can't, you can't stand in or look upon... You can't look upon His face. You can't stand in His glory because it's too great. It, it, it's too magnificent. It's too holy. You wouldn't be able to take it. Your, your body would just die. It would just cease in its operations. You'd fall to the ground without breath. That's what the Old Covenant says. And yet John says, we actually saw. We actually saw his glory. His majesty. Such glory as the only begotten Son. Receives from the Father. He was... I, I looked... I, I looked into his eyes and I saw the fullness of God. I saw the fullness of love. I, I saw favor in his eyes. Verse 18, no man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten who is in the bosom, the intimate presence. That's what I prayed for today's service, Pastor Don. I said, don't let it just be another song that he sings. Lord, don't let it be just another message that I preach. Let there be a life transformational presence. The intimate presence of the Father, verse 18, amplified. He has declared him and brought him out where he can be seen. That Greek word there, to be seen, to behold. 
means to look upon, to view attentively, to contemplate. It's often used as in the theater, to, to go and to view, to look at, to gaze intently and watch on the edge of your seat, a public show as in a theater. I mean, you're, you're transfixed. You're fixed on what's going on and, and, and seeing what you're seeing does something on the inside of you. Have you looked in his eyes? Do we take enough time each day? It doesn't take a lot. Do we just dedicate even five or ten minutes to get alone and look in his eyes and gaze intently and be transformed by it? You don't even have to petition. You don't even have to ask him anything. That's fine. Bring your lists in. But I'll tell you what. If I had 10 minutes, I wouldn't ask a thing. I just want to look in his eyes. I just want to say, holy, holy, holy. John Johnson was here, one of our apostolic team members, two weeks ago on Sunday. He preached a message in California and made a comment about the praise that's going on around the throne. You've read in the book of Revelation how the four and 20 elders circle the throne and, and, and then there's angels and so forth. And, and there's praise going on 24-7 around the throne where all day night and night long they're just saying, holy, holy. And Pastor John said, you would think that that would get tiring. You'd think they'd get bored until I studied the word and the phrase. And I learned that in the Greek, what's actually going on is that every time they say holy, there's first this little holy, holy. They can barely catch their breath. They're, they're taken back with his goodness, with his mercy. Mm. <laughs> There's two major reasons for most of our emotional problems as believers. Lila, number one, a failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And Rick, number two, a failure to give out that unconditional love and forgiveness and grace to other people. And I'm so proud that next Sunday we get to ordain you. I'm so proud to call you an elder and someone who has taught me over the last five years how to walk in grace. Church, if you think about it, the world can almost do anything better than the church can do it. They can build houses. They can feed the hungry. They can provide even healing for the sick. And they do it big and they do it great and... 
There's whole television programs. What's that one where they redo your house? Extreme makeover. makeover. Isn't that incredible? (coughs) Has anybody watched Undercover Boss? (laughs) The three of us were sitting in our family room, the three of us. (laughs) Who's that? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Let me explain. I'm not going wacko. (laughs) Nina and myself and Pastor John, two weeks ago, were sitting in our family room watching Undercover Boss. And we were all in tears. I mean, he's a grown man. He's a grown man. I respect him. I I sit under him. I I trust him. And he's bawling in my living room, my family room, watching a TV show. But we were all crying because of the grace, the mercy, the taking somebody's life and just turning it around. And what? All it takes is some money and a willing heart. And folks... The world does it all the time and so much better than the church can so often. But here's one thing that the world can never do that we the church can always do. We can respond to the sinner with grace. We can forgive sin. We can heal the broken heart. Now, lest you run out of here and theologically go weird on me. I did not say we're the Savior. I did not say that we forgive sin as in our blood cleanses. I'm talking about where Jesus himself said, whose sins you remit, they are remitted. You know, I know that we criticize so often in our denominational settings, the Catholic Church. But there's some things that they got right. And the power of the priesthood. I'm not talking about a priest because the scripture says we're all priests. Everyone listening to me right now in this room and by CD or download or online. You are a priest under the Lord our God. And God has given us the gospel of grace. And not of judgment. And he wants us to go into the marketplace. He wants us to go into this community that we live in. And release people from sin. Not bind them with it. Send it away. Not hold them to it. Forgive them freely. And demonstrate his incredible love. I'm going to share a quick story with you. This is from a gentleman who used to work in the lower downtown area of Chicago with the down and outers. Very dangerous place, especially at night, filled with prostitutes and drugs and really the scum of the earth. Did you know there's a church in Denver named Scum of the Earth? Isn't that a great name for a church? Huh? I've got to go visit there. I've got to go visit. I know they'd welcome me. (laughs) After all, I'm not all that, my wife reminds me. Hello, hello. This gentleman says, a prostitute came to me 
in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could make on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked her if she had ever thought about going to a church for help. And I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. I want to show you how pervasive this religious thing is that we just absolutely must get free of. Could we lower this front bank of lights, please? Would you please put up that photo, Jeff? Does anybody remember seeing that in the video as it went by? Did anybody question it? Come on, you don't need to raise your hand. But it seems obvious, doesn't it? Now listen. The man holding the rejected sign was shunned by a church when he asked for help with same-sex attraction. The guy patting him on the shoulder is our Celebrate Recovery pastor who not only offered help and accountability, but also friendship. The man now leads recovery groups in our church and is an amazing volunteer. Justin Jackson, Central Christian Church. But we judged them. We thought we saw for sure a homosexual couple. And if we're going to take the gospel of grace to this world, we've got to start looking into the eyes of God. You know the problem with that is, I don't know what God looks like. And sometimes, especially when I'm a little overcome with my own day and going through it, I'm just not sure that I know what those eyes look like or what they'd say. And then God said to me, God said to me, Jeff, when you look in Rick's eyes, you're looking in the eyes of God. Stephanie, when I look in your eyes, I am looking in the eyes of God. The gospel of grace means that we will be so full of his presence 
that when we go out into the marketplace, when we go out into society and they look in our eyes, they are seeing the eyes of God. May God help us. May God help us to be that.